0: Hi, this is David Sweet, founder of Focus Corps, and I'd like to invite you to take a look at our 2024 Salary Guide. It's a great resource for hiring APAC professionals wanting to know about the salaries for executive positions within Japan, as well as finding out information of what's important to attract the best talent in Japan. The Salary Guide is found on our website under About Salary Guide 2024. I hope you find this information useful for you and your company. Now, on to our podcast.
1: You want people that have verified themselves so that I'm not talking to somebody that's spamming me with marketing or sales messages like I, like you and I do on get on on LinkedIn, right? Across all the social media platforms that we use, we're giving out our data for free. And they're making billions of dollars of revenue from us and and hundreds of millions of profit from from our data, but they don't share that revenue or profit with us as the data provider as a as a user. So with Zach, what we like to do is we like to flip the model, where using Web three technology, mm-hmm. we can give the user like you and me uh, data sovereignty.
0: Welcome to the Focus Core podcast. I'm very happy to introduce Steve Peng. Steve is sitting in Singapore. He's an innovative disruptor, entrepreneur, author, coach, speaker, and was my mentor when I started Focus Core up 13 years ago. He used to sit with me on a weekly basis and help, help me uh, guide the company. Uh, with years of working experience, he's lived in Australia, was in Japan for five years, 15 plus years in Singapore, and he's got the understanding of diverse markets and cultures across Asia Pacific, uh, which makes him stand out for the pack. Uh, right now, he's uh, innovative with Web3, um, and, and since 2017, he's been the co-founder and social network disruptor of Zag Network, which we'll be talking about. With That's fun. He's also... Uh, a fun NFT project. I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up. I was going to ask you this. Piss up zombies. Sigh S- S- up. Sigh S- 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 up. It's better than piss yeah. up. It's a yeah. piss up. Uh, this is going to be one of those uh, uh, podcasts. I can tell already. And, uh, so uh, Steve is an author penned two highly regarded books, everything you wish to ask a headhunter, which is an awesome read, and Zag's expert guide to personal branding and job seeking. These literary accomplishments further showcase his dedication to empowering individuals to navigate their professional paths with confidence and success. Above all, Steve is fueled by a profound belief in the innate entrepreneurial spirit, which I can attest to, and he believes that for every human. To him, entrepreneurship isn't merely about starting companies, but rather about the Instinct to Create, Shape, Destinies, and Take Control of One's Life, which he has definitely
1: done. Welcome, Steve ping Thank you, Dave. Thank you. You're way too kind with the intro. Uh, if I did half the things that you said I've done, I'll be very, very happy. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you um, for inviting me to your podcast. I'm very privileged um, uh, to, to know that uh, you, you would like to have me as a guest. I know there are some very, very high-level esteemed guests that you've interviewed on your podcast. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Well, thank you. And uh, I'm excited. You're our very first uh, guest from Singapore. Oh, wow. Uh, we're, we're happy. And I, I love your uh, – you got your Zag hat on, and your, your marketing is all over the place. I love it. Um, talk to us about
1: the Zag Network. Right. Okay. So uh, just a quick introduction of myself in terms uh, of going more into the details. Um, obviously, I started uh, in my corporate life exactly the same as, or maybe not exactly the same as you, but similar to you, where I started in recruitment. I was in the recruitment industry for over 20 plus years. And that's where I built my corporate career and and was very fortunate to to travel with the job, started in Australia, came to Singapore for a couple of years, then went to, to, to Japan, Tokyo. And that's where we initially first yep. got connected. So that's over, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago now. Yep. It's been a long 18. time. And you know our paths have crossed uh, in various ways. Um, and that's, that's, that's my corporate background. Um, in terms of the Web3 crypto blockchain space, I got into buying Bitcoin and Ethereum back in June 2017. So, over 6 plus years in this crazy wild crypto industry that I'm very very passionate about as you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. And uh ZAG network came about um uh, about a year, slightly more than a year ago, we 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 conceptualized the idea uh, over a lot of beers on a Sunday afternoon, really? as you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was with a bunch of my friends, and and I and I said, "Hey, listen, guys, I, I uh, it's the crypto bear market at that time." And I said, "Look, I really want to do a, a, a Web three startup. Um, I'm fishing for ideas. You know, let's let's uh, put our, our our brains together and think of some ideas." And we threw some ideas on the table, and. So initially, you know, this, the first couple of ideas were quite interesting. Yeah, like building a um uh what's what's the word for it? It's it's almost like uh a a, a reward based um uh, test. So if if, for example, an IT company is looking for uh, for developers, senior developers, solution architects, uh, what the company can do is they can put the product they want to build or a solu- or or a solution that they're looking for, mm-hmm. and then we can invite all the developer community that we know or or we don't know into into the test, mm-hmm. and uh, then the 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 employer can then pick. The top five that that came up with the best solutions, the first the the person that they came up with the best solution would win the the bounty, the bounty program. They will win the bounty. i say ten thousand US. But all the other four will will get a job because they've obviously proven that they can they can code. Yeah, yeah. So we started with that idea. I didn't think it was enough because it was almost like a a one trick pony. What yeah. if we hit a another bear market, and none of the uh, tech companies are recruiting. Like mm-hmm. for example, right now a lot of the big tech are firing people instead of yep. hiring. Um, then, then I I don't have a lot of customers. I, I won't have uh, a lot of business. So we we kind of pivot the idea uh, to to disrupt LinkedIn. Mm. So and and so why why LinkedIn? A couple of reasons. Um, LinkedIn. It's essentially a monopoly. Uh, they don't have any competitors. I mean, if you and I were to live uh, to leave LinkedIn today, uh, where else can we go for social networking for professions? There, there isn't any other significant player, because Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, it's really more for social, um, very social, not so much for profession. And and obviously, twenty plus years in recruitment, I know LinkedIn really well, like the back of my hand, and I know how much how much they cost, what's what uh, sort of data they're providing, and what value that they they bring to recruitment companies and employers and advertisers. So, uh, and I use in my corporate world as the the Singapore head or the regional director of recruitment companies. Every month, I would pay the LinkedIn bill, and I know how much they actually make. Um, so, so we wanted to play a bigger game, and that's why we set up to disrupt LinkedIn.
0: Nice. Right. And uh, how's that going for you?
1: It's going. It's going good. It's going good. Uh, I can tell you my journey, the ups and downs, and the, and the, the the good times and the hard times. Um, I can share that with you for sure. Um, and so, one of the most Commonly used questions or commonly asked questions when I speak to uh, people on podcasts or or investors is they always ask, "Hey, okay, what problem are you solving? You know, why why are you building Zag?" Um, You're reading also, my
0: script. That, that's my next question.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I I can read minds as well. I've got this special talent. <laughs> um. So essentially, um. The What we're disrupting are a couple of interesting points which I'd like to share. Um, First of all, uh, one of the key things that we're trying to solve is we want to uh, have a solution for proof of identity. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the issues across any social media platform that you use um, that I mentioned earlier is that there are a lot of fake accounts, there are a lot of stolen identity accounts, there are a lot of bot uh, activity on those social media platforms. And we would like to cut that out. We want real users. We want people that have verified themselves so that I'm not talking to somebody that's spamming me with marketing or sales messages like I like you and I do on get on on LinkedIn, right? And and secondly, Across all the social media platforms that we use, um, we're giving out our data for free. I mean, we give our data to Facebook, LinkedIn, Insta, the whole thing, and they're making billions of dollars of revenue from us and and hundreds of millions of profit from uh, from our data, but they don't share that revenue or profit with us as the data provider as a as a user. So with Zach. What we like to do is we like to flip the model, where using Web three technology, mm-hmm. we can give the user like you and me uh, data sovereignty. That means we own our own data. Uh, if if I were to leave Zag one day, I take all my data with me. So you know, whereas if I leave LinkedIn today or Facebook today, all that years. Ten years, 14, 15 years of data postings, videos, uh, all my connections mm-hmm. stay in that platform yep. so so that's one of the uh, one of the uh, interesting things that we're solving is that we give the our users data sovereignty and because you own your data, then you can monetize directly from your own data. Mm-hmm. so if an employer or uh, an advertiser wants to know, how old? How old you are? Where you live? Uh, what's your qualification? What's your background? Anything, medical data, whatever. Everything is sold. Uh, everything is saved on on a um, uh, what we call a soul bound token, and you have the ability to give access or deny access to that mm-hmm. data. And obviously, if you give access, you get paid directly from the data requester. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. So the it sounds because the data uh, sovereignty and uh, is awesome because you you were mentioning before this that uh, you know you're taking a look and verifying from a couple of ideas and making sure everybody's real and I think that's a huge challenge on on LinkedIn. So that's interesting. What yeah? What about um? So then you were talking a little bit about blockchain. Uh, and NFTs, and how how does that play into what you're doing?
1: All right, okay. So, um, with the current technology, uh, so uh, I'll I'll quickly explain what an NFTs for maybe some sure. some some of your listeners that are not familiar with NFTs. NFT stands for non fungible tokens, mm-hmm. and what essentially uh, it means is it's a token. That is unique on its own, right? Um, and initially NFTs started maybe uh two years ago, two plus years ago. Uh so basically projects were, were creating NFTs like the Bought 8 Ape, Ape Yacht Club, uh CryptoPunks, and basically just JPEGs, just pictures of apes and and digital punks. And those went ballistic as things do in, in the crypto world. and each of those nfts or the, those JPEGs that saved on the blockchain were worth half a million. you know, at, at that peak, a bought about cryptopunk, uh, the the minimum uh, value of those, uh, which we, which we call the floor price was at 450,000 or, or half half a million US dollars yeah. and the the top end where people were trading like very unique um uh, pictures and crypto punk pictures i think the the highest uh sold nft was something like 20 million or something like that Amazing. yeah so it initially started as that um this really uh a unique one off uh nfts that a lot of Hollywood celebrities and sporting celebrities started buying and putting it on their social media um uh like pick pick on their social media yep. um that sort of fueled the craze. but now the NFT technology has evolved instead mm-hmm. of just having a cool picture of an ape or a punk uh you can uh, you can now save a lot of data onto that unique NFT. Okay. and that NFT is uniquely yours. Mm-hmm. So the technology that we're using uh, in in Zag is what we call a soul bound token, mm-hmm. and a soul bound token is is as what it says: it's bound to your soul, is uniquely yours. Um, so um, uh, so you can save all your your data, your videos, your your images, your private data, and all that uh, into that soul bound token. And then it's it's gated so that you only can give access or deny access to anybody that wants um information from your soulbound tokens. We're calling our soulbound tokens ZAC 21. D- do you know why we're calling it Zach 21? Um no. Oh, okay. Uh it's it's my brainchild, it's my brilliant marketing hey. brainchild. Um, there was an experiment that was done many years ago, and it's not a conclusive experiment, by the way, <laughs> uh, that the, the the weight of a human soul is 21 grams. Okay. So so some scientists sort of weighed patients that were alive, but maybe they were about to, to die. Uh, and then they weighed them after they passed on. And in a lot of cases, the difference is about 21 grams. So well, there you go. Oh, 21 grams, right? So Zyde 21 sold-on tokens. The other significance of 21 is because we're uh, a Web3, we're a crypto blockchain yeah. um, uh, company. Uh, in in the Bitcoin world, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. So the, the, that's what makes Bitcoin unique. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a limit of how many Bitcoins there will be in the world. And uh, and we, we pull those two together and, and call our so token tokens Zec twenty-one. So
0: so then your users, what do they in general put on their on their tokens? Uh,
1: okay, so uh, with the Zec twenty-one tokens, you can put your your qualifications, for instance, right? Yeah. So for example, on LinkedIn right now, I can change what's on my LinkedIn profile. I can say I went to Harvard. I can say I went to MIT uh, and did I go to Harvard? Did I go to MIT? If you really want to find out, it takes a little bit of work. You need to verify that I did go to Harvard or MIT by calling the careers department or, or I don't know, the records department in those universities. Um, so people, I mean, there's so many cases as you and I know, yes. um, that, that people have lied on their LinkedIn profile, they've lied on their resumes, um, and uh they got found out later on that they yep. didn't go to those universities, they didn't get in that MBA or that degree, they didn't have that. And CPA. It was all vague. Yeah. So the logic is if you were to put it on the blockchain that if I said I went to Harvard and I went to MIT, okay. And it's on the blockchain, so it is non-immutable. Means I can't change it. Mm. There is more of a chance that I'm not going to lie about it because it's going to it's going to be trackable forever. Okay. Um, but but also, um, Singapore has already started doing it, but not not uh, it hasn't been used across the world. Universities and tertiary education institutions in Singapore have started to um, offer uh the, the the degrees and the diplomas that a student has has graduated from uh they're offering that as uh on the blockchain so it's not in the paper form anymore it's it's uh it's in a form of an nft on the blockchain so then you can save that onto a Zach 21 uh, token as well
0: that's super fascinating um yeah it's so You said um, you have about 8,000 users.
1: Yeah, close to uh, 7,600.
0: And they're all verified.
1: Now, how do you go about that
0: proof of identification?
1: Very simple. Uh, uh, For Zag, we don't keep our users' data. Uh, So essentially, the verification process is when you sign up a a Zag account, uh, which I will give you the link, for the for the podcast yeah, absolutely um so essentially it's a very simple sign up where you need to upload a photo ID like a passport a, a ID card or or a driver's license with your photo in it and then uh we use a um a kyc a know your customer software that can scan your photo ID in your face and then your'll request for you to get on camera either on a laptop or or, or a smartphone and then it, it matches your 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 face to the ID face, and once uh, there was a match, then you're verified. You prove that you're a human, um, it, and and you can't do it with like a face to the camera. Yeah, yeah. You you physically have to rotate your head to fit into a to an oval uh, to show that you are who you say you are. So yeah, so the KYC process is very simple. It only takes a few minutes, but it it's a proof of Humanity, uh, more than anything else. So we don't save your data. If you want to to register as the the real David Sweet, yep. you can. But once you KYC yourself, you can call yourself Dave the Spider Man, or 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 Dave the Marathon Runner, or whatever you want to call yourself. Nice. Um, you don't have to appear as your real name, but but I know that you are a real person. You're not a bot. You're not a, a stolen account. And then the and then,
0: so walk me through how your users are using this in comparison to LinkedIn, so that our right. can kind of have a feel for what's their advantage for signing up and and joining that.
1: Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, so let me give you a little bit of history on on Zach first, which that's a reason for it right? because I, I I want to take your users or your listeners, on a journey. Yep. Um, so so we registered Zag as a company over a year ago. We went about trying to raise some funds uh, mm-hmm. to build the product. It took a while because, you know, over a year ago, the economy wasn't great. Inflation numbers were high. Investors had already spent their, their money uh, two, three years ago. A lot of them had their fingers burnt. Um, so the, the market was really tough for fundraising. So it took us about four months to raise some some funds, and then we went about building the product. So we launched Zag uh, a Network, uh, mm-hmm. the platform, in August, 2023, and we launched it in spectacular fashion in, in Bali at a crypto event um, I hired two bikini girls to be on our booth because of course I, you did, uh, of course I did uh, because the booth was in. Uh, I mean the the event was next to the beach. It was an outdoor event, uh, and we were offering alcohol for anybody that signed up. It was a lot of fun, nice. and and uh, we launched uh, in August, and so right now, uh, what is it now? We're in January right now, so we we really just started. And we've we managed to to onboard uh, seven thousand six hundred people. Already. That's amazing. So yeah, yeah, it, it's, it, it's really cool. Thank you, thank you. I mean, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, basically, we had to uh, 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 put uh, uh, get get a booth in uh, a few of the blockchain events around Asia. Uh, we had to do a lot of uh, community building. Uh, and a lot of marketing, a lot of marketing, you know, uh, just to get our brand out there. So what what's the upside for somebody to sign up a on Zach Network? So imagine if you can be the first 100,000 users on Facebook or your, your first 100,000 users on LinkedIn, you know, you're going to be part of a very elite club of people um, that, uh, that are part of Zag. And because we are a Web3 company, apart from the Soulbound tokens that we're issuing, mm-hmm. uh, we are also uh, issuing Zach tokens, um, uh, crypto tokens. And the Zach crypto tokens will be issued uh, to users that help us build the community around the Zach platform. So everything that you do on LinkedIn, you should get paid. So when you build a social graph, on Zag, mm. like you bring in your friends, you connect with people, you you like content, you comment on content, uh, either your content or other people's content, you post content. Um, you know, if, if it crosses a certain number or, or metrics, mm. you get paid in Zag tokens. So you get incentivized uh, every step of the way. Yeah, so it's a win-win for everybody, right? So the users win because they get paid to 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 build their social graph, uh, it's good for Zag because we get a lot of users, we get a lot of eyeballs, hence we're hence we're able to attract a lot employers, advertisers, and uh, people that want more data about our users. Um, and then if they want your personal data personally directly, then they approach you and and you get paid as well. So so it benefits the the Zag users a hell of a lot.
0: So, what do you see as you know going forward? I mean, it's been exceptional growth in a very short time. What do you see in over the next three to five years? For
1: okay, so let let me give you some some numbers that that might sort of kind of blow your mind. So, uh, you know, we're out to disrupt LinkedIn. Yep. Um, uh, LinkedIn has close to a billion. Users right now, um, 900 and something million users. But guess how many of those users are active monthly users? Or or, or what the industry would call MAU, monthly active users?
0: 10%? Mm. Uh,
1: about 20 to 25%. So, so that means out of that billion, say, let's round out the number to a billion. Yeah, uh, 250 million users are active on the LinkedIn platform. The other 750 million users are either fake accounts started by bots or people that have set up an account one time and don't come back. You know, maybe they set it up because they were curious. Maybe they set it up because the employer asked them to do it but they were they're not as active as you and I that are posting content and interacting with our social network network of connections and all that so yeah so out of that 250 million users linkedin makes a revenue of 10 billion us dollars a year that's the revenue last year amazing right so for for zag you know um we are we're very focused because we're a web3 uh, company. We're talking about NFTs. We're talking about crypto tokens. So initially, what what I'll aim to do is to, to specialize, particularly in the Web three community, the crypto blockchain community, mm-hmm. and also in the AI community, because all of the people in those communities are very tech savvy. Uh, they're not going to get freaked out by by you know tokens, crypto, all oh, the scam, you know. So they, they they know their way around a digital wallet and transferring tokens and NFTs that kind of stuff.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's okay. Let's talk recruitment because that's where you started. Uh, how we met was uh, through recruitment, and 100%. and you've written books on it, and you've done you know speaking about about recruitment. How yeah. have you seen the recruitment market in Asia change? Um, talk around APAC, but also, you know, around Japan as well, if you can, because a lot of our listeners are APAC hiring managers who want to hire in Japan. Right. Uh, And they find Japan as an enigma as this kind of black box to try and, and break. And and you've kind of gone through and, and seen that and helped companies do that.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Um, Look, you know, you and I—we've been in recruitment for twenty plus years. You know where that's—you know—we've seen um, the evolution of the recruitment executive search industry. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I—I—I I, I was uh, part of a company uh, back twenty plus years ago that owned Monster.com. Yep. Um, so, when Monster first came out, it was like the hottest thing on nasdaq it was part of the the dot com era uh, back in 20 uh the year year 2 2000 2001 and back then people were saying that oh job bots uh, are going to take over recruitment recruitment a- agencies and executive search agencies are going to be extinct uh, uh recruiters are going to lose their jobs that kind of thing and you know job bots n- never threaten our industry because um from from my point of view uh, it did disrupt the lower end so if you're recruiting graduates you're recruiting maybe entry level low level uh kind of stuff job bots are the way to go because they deal with volume they yep. deal with mass and they're they're dealing with active job seekers So if people are looking for a job that 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 people are maybe uh, wrong choice of word but desperate for a job so yeah. they go to job boards and put up their resume hoping to get hired but for executive search and recruitment companies most of our clients they want to hire the top dogs they yeah. want to hire the high achievers they want to hire the the high performers and those guys aren't looking for a job you know most of the time un- unless they get fired. they're happily working the job They're well paid well compensated um, and we have to actively go and headhunt them. We have to actively approach them to consider other career options. And so job bots never threatened um, the recruitment industry per se. It wasn't until LinkedIn um, uh, that, that came into the industry that really kicked us in the butt because um, when LinkedIn came in, Initially, by the way, the traction on LinkedIn was very slow. Um, and what really made LinkedIn what it is today was actually the the subprime crisis, the the global financial crisis, when people were losing a lot of, uh, when well, people were losing their jobs on mass, and they were all looking for jobs. They were posting their their, their resumes and the po- profiles on LinkedIn, and that's when LinkedIn had that big spike and and made it what it is today. And so LinkedIn has really changed the game. It created a whole industry called talent acquisition. You know, when we first started, there was no such thing as talent acquisitions. There was HR managers, HR directors that were uh, responsible for hiring, but they weren't specialists. They weren't talent acquisition specialists. Yeah. So, so you know, with that, with uh, with LinkedIn, given access. Uh, given talent access, uh, talent data to uh, a lot of employers, suddenly they figured out that, hey, instead of paying Dave uh, a a 35% or 40% or 30% recruitment fee, we can hire a a competent recruiter, mid-level, pay them, I don't know, 60 grand, 70 grand uh, uh, a year, and then we can save a lot of recruitment fees. We can save a lot of money. And that's where the the talent acquisition industry, shall we say, sort of came about. And that was really the game changer for me. That uh, suddenly uh, the the recruitment agencies on the agency side, like what you and I were doing, you know, we we got it. Uh, we got less volume, hmm. and so we had to up our game. We had to focus more on the the value added services. We had to we had to. Uh, a recruit, uh, you know, build a community of talent that even the talent acquisition people can not get access to. Yeah. So we, we we had to work a lot harder for our money. So to me, that was what changed changed the game.
0: That's interesting. That's yeah. an, it's been an interesting process, and I I still see the talent acquisition people. There's very few that really keep their their ability to build networks in play. Yeah, they kind yeah. of go in house and it it kind of falls away. There's some very good ones in Japan still, but yeah. uh, most of them are still very administrative, reactive, and they it, it, it just it's just um, fielding other recruiters. Really, yeah.
1: Well, I I, I think I, th- I I think uh, maybe in Japan that's still the case because. Uh, in you know uh a, a lot of employers hired ex-recruiters to be talent acquisition people so in theory in theory they should be able to do what you and i or what you you do now what i used to do to be aggressively going out there talking to people and 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 mapping out the talent market mm. but a lot of recruiters once they go over to the talent acquisition side they They become more administrative, as you say, because uh, their hiring managers want to know what is the hiring funnel, how many people are in the interview process. So they spend more time on administration than actually talking to talent. And and yet, even though they've changed the game uh, or this whole phenomenon has changed the game a lot more, but there's still a lot of good business for recruitment agencies to offer Uh, executive search and recruitment uh, services,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think um, I I love the technology that comes in. I love that uh, when companies do it well, that just makes our lot, for good recruiters, it helps us to be able to focus on the harder to fill niche roles. Correct. Correct. And really give some value add, which I like. What would you, you know, because you've been a leader in, in APAC and, and continue to be a disruptor in Asia. What advice would you give leaders who are working in Japan, managing the Japan market?
1: Right. Um uh when when you say leaders, are we talking about uh foreigners well, that, working in Japan someone, or Japanese? Yeah,
0: someone maybe you're you're the APAC CFO and you've you're you're having to manage Japan. Right. And you're sitting in Australia and you're kind of the, the head of HR and you're trying to do talent. I got the people in India that are trying to do the talent in Japan. And it just seems to be very frustrating sometimes for them.
1: Right. Wow. I, I, look, uh, when I first landed in Tokyo, uh, I didn't speak a lick of Japanese. Um, I was um, parachuted in uh, to, to run a team uh, yeah. for a foreign or global recruitment company in, in Tokyo and, you know, um, it was a real culture shock for me. Didn't speak the language, knew very little about the culture. Um, uh, and when I first landed there, it, it was at the end of the dot-com era. So uh, I inherited a team of, of 17 uh, recruiters, mm. uh, and I had to, I had to fire half of it because the clients didn't pay their invoices. Everybody was going broke bankrupt companies were shutting down um and as a result i had to trim my team down so it, it was a real root shock it was a real um uh yeah it was a real learning curve for me um but what what i did and this is what i recommend a lot of uh, non-japanese leaders that have to manage a japanese team to do or even japanese leaders is really about uh understanding the the culture uh, the Japanese culture, the Japanese work culture, uh, but also the culture of the team as well, because every team has their own different dynamics. And and uh, once you understand the culture, that's where you can build trust. And in in Japan, it's all about trust. Mm-hmm. You, you and I know uh, your clients stick with you not because you're good looking, Dave, and you are a good looking man. Uh, I have to say, love it. You're a handsome man. Uh, they use you because they've been using you for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they know that you can deliver. And they know that even if they give you an assignment and it doesn't go well, you are going to turn it around. And yeah. and it's that relationship and the trust that the Japanese market really values. Um, so that's that's the number one thing I, I would, uh, the top of the list is to build trust and to build that relationship.
0: That's great, yeah. I think that and that takes time and that's uh, and patience, obviously. So,
1: yeah. And 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 in Japan, uh, although I landed with no Japanese, um, what I found was, you know, if you make an effort to speak Japanese or learn a little bit of Japanese, you don't have to be fluent. Hmm. Uh, but you know, if if you can speak uh, what I would call ropongi Japanese, yeah. Uh Roppongi Nihongo, uh, yeah. or uh you know, just a little bit of casual Japanese, everyday Japanese. The Japanese people really appreciate it. And of course, Japanese people being super polite are very complimentary. Uh Steve ni Nihongo, you know, Jozu this <laughs> nah. Your Japanese is so good, and I know my Japanese suck, but at least <laughs> I make an effort. That helps. Yeah. Well, moving your
0: you know, kind of Broadening your advice for individuals, let's move that into like Web3 and blockchain. What what advice would you give for individuals looking to succeed in that area?
1: Right. Um, OK, so, you know, uh, the whole Web3 space is still relatively young, I would say. Uh, Bitcoin was the granddaddy of crypto. And Bitcoin was was really only launched after the, the, the global financial crisis. Mm. So it was launched in 2009, 2010. And initially, it was a very, very close group of um, uh, very, very techy people, uh, people that want to disrupt the, the banking industry because they were so hurt by the banking industry when the Lehman Brothers and all that went down yeah um so psychopunks uh, uh, is the word that was used back in the early days yeah. um so and and so we're still relatively new what is it it's uh, 2024 now so you know uh, crypto's been around for like 14 years 13 years something like that so we're still very very new as an industry uh and it's it's ever uh ever evolving very, very volatile, as you know. The price of Bitcoin goes up and down like a yo-yo. Um, uh, but because of the volatility, it it, it gives people um, uh, a lot of upside if you can manage the risk on the downside. So, you know, I've done a well, well out of uh, crypto uh, since I came in six, six plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money in crypto as well. Um, but... But you know some people like to ride the roller coaster as I would say some people like to ride the merry go round and I'm am a roller coaster guy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's great. So
0: let's uh let's kind of look at uh, your life um the life of Steve Pang. What's uh what's your most important lesson you've learned over your career?
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah, I have uh I've I've learned a hell of a lot in my career. I mean, I'm I'm very thankful that uh, in my path, in my life journey as well as my career journey, I've come across uh, mentors that have helped me. Yep. Um, I'm I'll, I'll be honest with you, I I'm not one of those natural born leaders, yeah. uh, and you know I'm I'm not I'm I and I know that you know I, I know I'm smart, but I'm often not the smartest guy in the room, um, you know, compared to, uh, you know, the Elon Musk and the Bill Gates of the world. Yeah. And and I recently used that analogy uh, when I was chatting with my wife and she says, wow, your bar is that high, Elon Musk? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, why not? Right. I mean, yep. if you're going to aim for something, you might as well aim for the top. Um and and so so I know I'm not naturally as gifted as some people. So I had to work very hard at it. Um and and my life lesson is look, if I really want something and I work hard at it, um I can get it, I can achieve it. It's not a hundred percent guarantee, but I will be much, much better at that thing that I, w- I was aiming for than than uh, if I didn't put any effort in. Um, so that's that's my life belief, is that hard work pays. So there's a saying in recruitment, right? The harder you work, the luckier you get. And yeah. that is, that's always in my head uh, when, when there's uh, a lot of obstacles in front of me. I just need to work harder than the next person if I want to get ahead.
0: That's great. Well, I, I for one can say that uh, you're you're very humble. Um, you've been a, a, a leader in the Japan market. I've seen you uh, back in the 2000s. You were um, you were a force, a big force to be reckoned with. Uh, you were on the other side of the fence for me, and it, and everybody, <laughs> everybody knew everybody knew who you guys were and who you were, and it was. Um, and so, you know, when I was um, starting up, to have you be taking time out of your schedule to sit down and mentor me. To grow the company and and ask me fundamental questions on how to run the business, I felt myself very lucky. And um, yeah, I think uh, you're usually the smartest guy in the room, from what I, I can tell.
1: Thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank but you. not not compared to Elon Musk, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you you much prefer Elon Musk as your mentor than than me.
0: Uh, uh. I don't know. I that might. <laughs> My type, I, I kind of like <laughs> I like people who are down to earth and uh easy to relate to,
1: right?
0: So, and and I, I got off Twitter anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's called X now, it's not called Twitter. It's
0: yeah, X. see, I'm dating myself,
1: I'm yeah. gonna get on
0: Zag. That's the thing. That's, that's so so
1: so, Dave, let me ask you a question. What what has changed in, in the recruitment market in, in Japan that you've seen? Because you asked me the same question, and I haven't been involved in the Japan market now for I don't know, fifteen years or more. Uh, I, I've been involved for me from afar because yep. a lot of people, like you say, want to recruit in the Japan market. They had no understanding of the Japan market. What do you think has changed in the last fifteen years?
0: So, uh, I mean, dating myself, I, I've, I've made fact, I've made placements with faxes. Uh, we used to look at the newspaper on Monday to see uh, what ads were there, and then you'd call up Deutsche Bank and get the get the job. And you had to get your candidates in fast because, you know, yeah. there was only 30 companies and every Tom, Dick, and Harry was working working those jobs. Yeah. I find it the industry in Japan and kind of globally is very transactional. And the the ideas of um, like headhunting and market mapping and creating a uh, strong customer service with clients have kind of gone by the wayside it's more about what volume of resumes can you get to the talent acquisition team because mm. we need them now we're struggling to get people and it's and i see that driven a lot from the hr just mm. because i think they're overworked and they're they're really um, taking a look at technology as quickly as they can because they're under mm. pressure from their clients and that's what they expect from their search partners. Right. And I think the search partners um, have dropped off on their quality mm. and they just, uh, and so you have a lot. I liken it. A lot of the, the recruiters are a lot like, uh, do I say uh fast food restaurants? Right. <laughs> And uh, so I, there's very few companies now that are really looking towards being um, white tablecloth sort of providers, service partners. And that's, you know, for focus core, that's where we've tried to land. So I think that's probably the biggest change. I'm excited by AI because I think that's the next thing which will put a lot of transactional businesses out of business.
1: Oh, right. Well, that's another interesting topic to discuss, uh, AI. Um uh the, I'll, I'll share with you something about ai um we're, we're very excited about ai uh i, I use chat a lot I, use, I i'm a big user of chat uh to to come up with my uh my pitch deck to come up with proposals to come up with my my postings um and even parking fines and speeding fines i use chat uh to to write up uh my my uh my appeal letters oh um, yeah 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 you know in singapore uh, sometimes you need to be in a hurry um and i i i literally i literally uh just tied up a partnership with a uh an an ai uh Company, a web three AI company, um, and we're going to be offering our users their personal AI companion. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, you can have an AI boyfriend or girlfriend or a companion, Mm -hmm. like an AI dog or cat or whatever, and you can train that companion uh, to understand you and how 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 you like information to be. Sourced and presented to you, um, and yeah, so it's like a personal AI assistant that can, um, you know, do things for you. Um, so that's going to be on offer uh, uh, when when you're on a on the Zach platform. It's kind of like
0: the, the Tomogachi.
1: It's kind of like Tomogachi. You're right. You're right because you need to train the AI yep. uh, to know you and and uh, to know what what your style is and. And you know what is your narrative style? What is your speaking style? What, um, and your communication style? Um, but you know, it, it can be anything. I mean, you, you can use your personal companion or AI assistant to, to to source information on best yakuniku restaurant in Shinjuku, or uh, mm. uh can you help me write up a, a proposal for an investor? Uh, to invest a million dollars in in design that kind of thing
0: yeah it's really cool it's amazing I love it I, I think it's wonderful um yeah. what is you're speaking of uh so one of the questions I will ask you yes uh but uh I will ask you is from my last guest they asked they asked you they didn't know it was you oh ah, okay where would you find a good vegetarian restaurant and would be a good vegetarian curry restaurant that you would recommend in Singapore? guess it would be anywhere. I think okay. Of course, so I think it'd have to be in Singapore.
1: Well, I guess Singapore, I'm more familiar with. Uh, Tokyo, it's been a while since I've been there. Uh, the best vegetarian restaurants um, are the Indian restaurants, to be honest. Yeah, um, great. yeah uh, so my favorite Indian restaurant in Singapore, I mean, they, they serve meat as well, yeah. but you, you can choose the vegetarian option or the or the, or the meat option. Uh, is a restaurant called Salmon's S-A-M-Y, Prost. Yes. Um, they serve the food on a banana leaf, not on a plate, but on okay. a banana leaf. And then you can have the choice of your different beans, dal curry, uh, vegetarian curry. Um, and it's absolutely delicious. And it's nice. pretty much tab- tabehodai, all you can eat. Right. So they, they keep
0: where's that at? on?
1: Um, they have different outlets, but the one that I go to, uh, it's near the city. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so the question for you is, uh, what would you like to ask our next guest?
1: Oh, okay, interesting, interesting. Well, th- the question I'd like to ask your next guest is, um, what is their outlook for twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five? Because this year and next year are going to be very interesting years. Because why? Number one, we've got an inflation issue across the world. Mm. There are a lot of global global conflicts that could threaten global security. Um, you know, the uh, Ukraine Russia war that's sort of a bit jaded now, and then we got something brewing in uh, uh, Israel and, and Palestine, the, the Hamas. Yeah. Uh, Israel war, and now you got the Houthis that are blocking the Suez Canal, which the 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 global police like the US and Europe are getting involved in as well. So there's a lot of instability that's that's happening in the world right now. So 2024 will be interesting to see how mm. that those those theaters uh, pan out. And then we have the US election, as you know, and the UK um, election this year too. Uh, the what election? UK. UK election as well. So there's a lot of major countries that are having their elections. And so it'll be interesting to see whether Donald Trump gets back into the the presidential seat seat after all the shenanigans from his last campaign. You can Um, get
0: an NFT. He's got NFTs, right?
1: Yeah, he does have an NFT. He does. Um, And yeah, so that's going to be interesting as well. You know, there's always talk about uh, an impending recession Is it going to be a soft landing? Is it going to be a hard landing? Um, the jury is still out. Um, so yeah I, I I would like that's what I would like to ask your next guest. What is the outlook for 2024 and 2025 and why? Great.
0: Well thank you, Steve. It's been wonderful to catch up. I've learned a lot about web3 and uh, nfts today that that's been great really educational i appreciate it and you're always an inspiration you're very dynamic uh so it's nice to talk to you again
1: thank you dave thank you dave and you know if any of your listeners have specific questions uh feel free to kind of drop them in your in in your comments uh i'll i'll visit it and you know uh, i'll pick the i'll pick the interesting ones to to answer
0: well, good luck with Zag. Where do you, would you like people to also, if they want to direct comments towards you, where's your preferred venue? Is okay.
1: That- um, set up an account on Zag, www.zagzag.network. There is a drop down menu It says Zag app. Click that and sign up an account. Um, I have got status on Zag. So everybody that signs up an account will be fo- following me. Um, but you can send me a DM on the Zach platform. You can also find me on on LinkedIn ironically. Um, so I look, it's not either or, right? So you know it's not like either you're on LinkedIn or on Zach. you can be on both. you know it's just yep. like I have a Facebook account, I have an Instagram account, you know and I have a TikTok account and and so forth. So you, you can be on both. Uh, and but the good thing is you can repost your content on both and on Zach, you actually earn Zach tokens, which will, you can convert to the money uh, for everything that you do on LinkedIn. So yeah, you can find me on Zach LinkedIn. Um, we, have a, we have a YouTube account as well. If you search for Zach Network, you can find us on YouTube. Yeah,
0: we will put links to that in the show notes as well as uh, links to your books. Superb. Uh, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, buddy.
1: Now I'm doing the up, down, low, down, yeah